Amen, amen, amen. I just listened. I, 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 I guess I'll, I'll have that same energy during the message. I expect that. Um, yeah, there, there can, you can't go to sleep on me now because clearly y'all hyped up, all right? Y'all hyped. Yeah, well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Good to see you all. And um, man, glad y'all feeling good. Amen. Amen. So, well, if you wouldn't mind, let me see if I can settle the room just a little bit. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, we thank you because you are faithful. And God, we are one because of your prayer. Because of your intentions for and toward us. Lord, we remember your words. We remember your heart's desire, Lord, that we would be witnesses of you and the oneness between your Father and your Spirit. And your desire for us to be one just like you. So God, we pray, let our oneness not be a novelty. Let it not be something that we stand at a distance and we glorify and we raise to heights that it's not even deserving of. But God, may it be a true reflection of you. Let that we recognize that we are all the Imago Dei. We were all created, Lord, in your image. And because of that, God, we find and have oneness in you. Bless our time together now as we open up your word. Lord, may you speak to us that we may hear what you have to say. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in your name we do humbly pray. Amen. 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 Today we, um, we continue on in our series entitled Fruit. And so uh, let, us, let us read together first before we dive in, uh, amen, to faithfulness today, which is our topic too. Uh, let us read together uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Come on, you ready? Let us read. But the fruit of the Spirit. I, um, I was expecting something different. Uh, we, were, uh, we were newly married, um, not about my marriage, but just about the, the path that our lives were heading. Um, at a young age, um, uh, myself and one of my former high school counselors had started a couple of business ventures together, and uh, both of them tanked terribly. And, um, and being a man and, and wanting to do right by my family, it was hard for me knowing that I couldn't bring the resources into the house that I needed to, that I felt like I should for my family's sake. Um, and so I remember clear as day, I remember uh, just trying to find something so that I could bring a steady paycheck into the house. And, um, and it was around the holiday season, or just before, it was in October. And back in the day, Toys R Us used to always hire for Christmas season. And I remember, man, when I got hired on at Toys R Us, 
how excited I was, man. I was excited because my family could depend on a steady paycheck every week. And, uh, and I remember, I still have a paycheck stub. So I remember, man, monthly, man, just, you know, the commissions and things not coming in and how, how bad I felt. But I remember, man, how glad I was every week when I would bring home that paycheck for $262.73. Man, I brought that bad boy home proudly. So excited because it was consistent. I could count on it and how I enjoyed it. Well, Christmas season passed and... They appreciated my work efforts because I, I believe in Colossians 3.17, no matter what you do, whether in word or deed, you do it as unto the Lord. So when I was stocking shelves at third shift at Toys R Us, I tried to be the best shelf stocker Toys R Us has ever seen. Well, at that time, nationally, Toys R Us were, they were, they were, um, uh, they were, you know, fixing up their stores. And so they hired me for a special crew. I was proud. Brought no raise. I still bought home that 262.73. <laughs> I was proud of that money, man, every week bringing it home. During that time, man, I met this guy who was a part of a contracting firm that was doing the electrical work there. And, um, and we would be there on breaks. We would share and just talk about the Lord. And, um, and we would have a good time. I was serving as the assistant youth director at my church at the time. And so he was also doing the same role at his church, a small church up in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. We decided, man, similar to this, man, that we would bring my urban church youth ministry and his, uh, not necessarily uh, suburban, but coming from Shepherdsville, we'd bring them in town and we'd do a unified service together and we'd have a good old time, man. And so we did it. And it was a beautiful time we had together. My big brother, I still remember this day, he shared the message and it was a great great time. Well, a couple of months go by. I'm still stocking shelves and, uh, and, and the contract runs out and, and, and I'm trying to figure out my next move. And, uh, and you know, I, I picked up a couple of jobs here and there and it was just a really tough period. I, I really struggled. And then I got a phone call from this guy, same guy from Toys R Us that I had spent time talking to. And he asked me, he says, hey, um, do you know anybody who'd be willing to apply for this youth director's job? And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's talking about his church, and I'm like, well, brother, I, I, I can't. Um, I, um, you know, uh, but I'll, I'll look out for somebody. He says, no, 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 I'm not talking about the youth pastor at my church. Our church is connected to the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army is looking for a unit director for one of their clubs. It's very important to them that they have somebody in the row who is a believer. And when the captain asked me about the person, you were the first name that came to mind. And the only reason I am here today is because of conversations that started as I was stocking shelves in Toys R Us. You never know where the Lord is going to show up. God shows up sometimes in the most unexpected places. And because that is the case, it is our responsibility to give our best, the best of ourselves, even when things are inconvenient, when it seems inopportune, when you don't like where you are, our faithfulness is required of us. That's our subject for today as we unpack this other virtue within the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about faithfulness. Now, in order to truly understand faithfulness, the first thing that you got to understand is what my testimony points out. Man, it wasn't my faithfulness that brought me to this place, but it's the fact that God first and foremost is faithfulness. 
We read it all through scripture. You can read in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9 where he simply says, Know for that the Lord is your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. God's faithful. He's faithful even when we don't always know it. He's always working. This is what we hear in one of our characters, one of the more prominent characters that we read about in scripture, man. His, his faithfulness is displayed throughout his entire book. So if you have your Bibles, open it to the, uh, the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 1. And we're going to look at Daniel's faithfulness and what that means to us today. Daniel chapter 1, we'll be beginning at verse 8. Um, through verses 21, the conclusion of that chapter. Um, of course, we'll be reading from the New International Version, and as always, the scripture will be available for you on the screen. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. This is what you'll find. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had pointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine and they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into the service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Last verse. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Amen. We uh, find from this uh, first-hand account the events transpired as Babylon has now conquered the southern kingdom of Judah. Specifically, we're talking about Jerusalem in this section right here. Now, Babylon was very, very, man, they were very intentional about how they went about things. What they would do is what we're reading right here is that they would, they would not only conquer the land, but then they would take the best of the best as exiles and raise them up inside of the Babylonian kingdom. Specifically, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was looking for a certain type of person. He wanted young men, check this out, who were from noble birth or royal or part of the royal family. They had to be handsome. 
They had to be intelligent and wise. They could not have any type of physical maladies. They had to be of perfectly good health. They had to be the ideal persons to chew with one. They also had to be confident and mannerable and able to handle themselves amongst the elite of the social status of the day. King Nebuchadnezzar is very specific about this, and so he brought what we find out in this, at least four guys that we're familiar with. Uh, he brought this guy by the name of Dan. You know the book is named after him. Three guys. We'll introduce them in a moment. You know who they are, but right now we know them as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Remember those names. We, he brought these four guys along with these other ones into this land. I checked this out. At this time in history, you'll find, let me let you know something, because I'm going to give you some extra biblical information today. Uh, the Bible is sufficient but it is not exhaustive and what I mean by that is there are things there are writings that lean and add to the Bible to let us know what other accounts are taking place historically that you don't always find in Scripture so sometimes in order to grab a great understanding or a better understanding about what's happening you pull other readings into to see what's going on what we know at this time is that Babylon did not only conquer the Asia minor region which is where Israel is now but they also conquered Egypt and some other lands at the same time so imagine now in in, in this Babylonian city that not only Daniel not only uh, uh, Ananiah or Azariah Hananiah and Mishael but young men also who were from Jerusalem from the same elite status but also young men from Egypt and other lands are all gathered here for this system. And here's what they wanted to do. He wanted them to become like the Babylonian elite. And so they did just a few things. More importantly, what they did is they put them in school for three years so that they could indoctrinate them with Babylonian culture and understandings. This is a plan by King Nebuchadnezzar. Very, very, very smart, creative plan so that he could expand his kingdom I want you to do something for me though before we talk about what faithfulness looks like in the biblical sense for you and I what what we typically do and this is this is the appropriate thing to do is when we read this we put ourselves in position of the main character right so everybody in here right now should be thinking of themselves as though you are Daniel and you should Daniel or Danielle whichever one you want to be all right we put ourselves in the position of the main character, and you should. But here's what I also want you to do, so that you can truly get a grasp on what this means in terms of faithfulness. You cannot fully understand what faithfulness looks like in the sense of Daniel in his life if you are not willing to consider the reality or the possibility that we are exiles in Babylon too. Let that settle for a moment. Babylon the Great. It's the greatest nation at this time. They have conquered all the lands. They are occupied all over the world, all over the region. And they have brought people in to indoctrinate them to their culture. Babylon, if you're going to be Daniel, can't be Daniel without living in Babylon. Imagine... Imagine if we are residents in this culture, Babylonian culture. Imagine then 
if what we think about ourselves in our great land isn't represented in places outside of our borders. In Babylonian culture, man, they told some stories. I can imagine in the three years that, that Daniel and the other guys that they were in this plan, I can imagine that perhaps in their schools, since they were indoctrinated with Babylonian culture, they were told, hey, listen, check this out for Daniel what this means. Uh, they possibly have this little nursery school rhyme that says something like this. Um, something like in B.C. 602, Nebuchadnezzar sailed the ocean blue and he discovered a land called Jerusalem, even though there are already inhabitants in there. In Babylonian culture, what they teach is that Babylon is the greatest of heights of everything in this world, and all others ought to be subject to this. Everyone ought to want to live like this. That is the reason why Nebuchadnezzar brought in all these young men so that they could go and they could spread the ways of Babylon. And so there are Babylonian ambassadors all over the world who are there to make sure that people understood and loved and lived their democratic way. Babylon was great, man. But notice who Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask for. First off, notice that he didn't ask for any women, which means that Babylon discriminated against women. There, there was no equal status for men and women in Babylon. But also notice that you have to be from noble birth. You have to be from the royal bloodline, which means that if there was not eliteness in your family line, you weren't allowed to come. But also, you couldn't have any physical maladies. You had to be a perfect health. You could have nothing wrong with you physically. You had to be perfect. You had to be smart. You have to go to the greatest of schools. You have to be graduates from, from you know, uh, with everybody jokes, people who aren't from Louisville. Talk about, man, when you come to Louisville, people always ask, what school do you go to or did you go to? And they're never talking about college. They're always talking about high school because that lets you know your class status. And so everybody in Babylon, everybody in Babylon went to Manuel. Every last one of them. Yeah, everybody went to Manuel. Or when you went to college, they were all, they were all from Ivy League schools. Everybody who were residents in Babylon, if you didn't go to Ivy League College, you weren't, you weren't allowed in Babylon. There was no women. There were no people from, who weren't from noble descent. There was no gender inclusion within Babylon. None of these things were possible in this land. Babylon, Babylon only wanted so many people to be a part of its culture. You have to be smart, man. You have to be able to handle yourself well. You couldn't have any type of handicap. It wasn't allowed, man, not in Babylon. Imagine then the pressure of Babylon for Daniel and his friends, recognizing that there are people that they love who weren't allowed to be here. Here's one thing that's true when you read it historically, is there's one great figure that we know biblically at the same time who wasn't even recruited. It's a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Daniel and his friends were there, but Jeremiah was left in Jerusalem. And at the same time that this is happening, Jeremiah is writing the book of Lamentations where he's taking the testimony of the people who were left behind who were not exiled into Babylon. 
put yourself in the place of Daniel, please do so. But understand that in order to be Daniel, you've got to recognize that it could be possible that we have been exiled into Babylon. And I know that it may sound offensive to some because we believe that America is America the Great. I understand that. I completely give it. But please recognize the Bible tells us that we are of this world, but we are, we are in this world, but not of this world. That we are not citizens of this land. We are citizens of a land that's not made by human hands. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, not citizens of the kingdom of the United States of America. That should first and foremost be our identification. Now check this out. Pastor, what does this have to do with faithfulness? Please explain to me what does this have to do with my faithfulness to God. I'm going to tell you. The greatest challenge to Daniel and his friends' faithfulness to the kingdom of God was the land of Babylon. And for so many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, the greatest challenge to us as believers and followers is the kingdom of the United States, the empire that has suggested that you've got to be of a certain type, that the gospel is only for a certain people. That you've got to live a certain place that Christianity says that in order for you to be successful, you've got to have the American dream. We have blurred the lines. We have made it muddy. We have made it look like something that Jesus never intended for it to look like. So our faithfulness is being tested every day because you think that God's blessings is how much money is in your bank account, what neighborhood you live in, how good your job is, what schools you go to. Babylon is testing us daily. And like Daniel, we are, we are put in a pickle because we've got to see what our faithfulness looks like. So Daniel is here. Daniel is here. He's in, he's in Babylon, man. And, and so they got this criteria, what they're looking for. But not only did, did they have this criteria, they also wanted to begin to kind of shape their identity. And so one of the first things they did after they enrolled them into their Babylonian plan is they then changed their names. And so you got Daniel, you've got Hananiah, you've got Mishael, and you've got Azariah. That's the four names. Daniel's name, which is a beautiful name. It means God is my judge. Yahweh is my judge. But Nebuchadnezzar said, well, listen, uh, we don't believe in Yahweh here. We believe in the God of Babylon, so we got to change that. So he changed his name from Daniel, Yahweh is my judge, to Belteshazzar, which means Lord protect his life. Now, Lord is why, notice, in Scripture, every time you'll see the word Lord, if it's referring to God, it's all caps. Uh, but when he's talking about Lord protect his life, Nebuchadnezzar was talking about one of the Babylonian gods, particularly a god either called Nebo, Nebo or Marduk. And so what, what Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not worried about, about your God. What I want you to know is that you think Yahweh is your judge. I'm trying to tell you that it is my God who's conquered your God. So you need to be praying to him. But not only that, he changed the guy, Hananiah, changed his name. You feel me with this? His name to Shadrach. Hananiah, Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. Shadrach means command of Aku. It's the Babylonian moon god. He changed to God Michelle, whose name means who is what God is. It's basically a proclamation saying that there is none like Jehovah God. Nebuchadnezzar didn't like this, so he changed his name to Meshach, which means who is what Aku is. He's combating Jehovah. He said, there's none like Aku, not none like Jehovah. 
He changed Azariah, whose name means Yahweh has helped, to Abednego, which name means he's the servant or helper of Nebo. You see it? You see how clever Nebuchadnezzar is? That he looks at the faithful commitment even in the names of the Hebrews and he decides that I'm going to combat everything that they are. I'm going to call them what I believe that they should. And he gave them names to specifically contradict that of their claims to God. But here's what I love about Daniel, man. Enslaved, exiled in Babylon, he and his friends, they, they, they have been given the elite status even in Babylon. He's there, he's, he's listening, he says, you know what, man, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll take your name change, I'll take your location change. I'm not concerned about any of those things. You can call me what you want. You can call me the servant of your God, of your Babylonian God, of your pagan God. You can call me and you can enlist me in the service of Babylonian culture. That's okay. You can make me that or list me as that, but you cannot make me a disciple of him. I say that because when we find in verse 8, what we'll find is that after they put all this together, the next thing they did is that the... The, the servant of Nebuchadnezzar gave the men then food from the king's royal table. And then in verse 8, that's where we find, it says, But Dave, Dave, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Change my location. You can even change my name. But whenever what you ask of me puts me in direct contradiction with my God, that's where I draw the line. That's exactly what Daniel did. Now, to some of us, man, it may not be that big of a deal, right? Right, because it's just food. It's, it's, it's no big deal. You know, well, why can't he eat the food? As a matter of fact, some of us, we get caught up in the superficial. We would have we threw a fit about the location change, threw a fit about the name change. Uh, we, we worry about what people call us and what people think of us. Daniel cared not about any of those things. He cared about the things that would make him ceremonially, ceremonially or morally impure before God. Because for the Jewish culture, there was a specific diet, and if they found themselves unclean, that meant that he was not able to have a relationship or a closeness or worship with God until he was clean again. Daniel said, listen, I, I, I may be away from home. Um, I, I may have even been renamed. And it doesn't matter where I am, I still will maintain my connection with Jehovah God. So he purposed in his heart, he decided not to do so. It doesn't seem like it's all that complex, right? Until you recognize that, wait a minute, Daniel is of royal bloodline. So he's used to good food. He's used to the best of the best. And since he's used to it, he then decides that I've got to say no, possibly to food that I would eat at home, but maybe this food just isn't prepared right. So I've got to say no to stuff that I'm used to. The point that I'm making is when it comes to faithfulness, your faithfulness is always tested amongst things that you enjoy. I don't think that Daniel saw this food and turned his nose up. But I think that Daniel considered Babylonian culture and he says, but this ain't prepared the way that I need to have it so that I can maintain my relationship. I wonder how many of you all. I've been faced with that, those things that make you just draw a line in the sense that there's, there's certain things that I will do, but I won't do that. Anybody ever brought, been brought to that place? Yeah, but it's always with things that you enjoy. Sometimes we think, and I listen to people talk all the time, that when the enemy comes at us, he's going to come at us at things that we don't like. 
But check this out. If your issue isn't that thing, the enemy's not going to come at you with that thing. If you don't struggle with lust, the enemy is not going to come at you with lust. If you don't struggle with money, that's not what he's going to come at you with. He's going to come at you with things that you enjoy. Take for instance, take for instance, man, if you decide, you know what, I need to lose a few pounds. And, uh, and your weakness is Krispy Kreme donuts. And, um, and you just decided, you know what, if I'm going to lose this weight, I'm going to stay away from the hot sign. I just, I just can't do it anymore. I got I to gotta get better. So I'm not eating any more Krispy Kreme donuts until I lose this weight. Here's what will happen. I tell you no lie. In the latter part of 2017, Krispy Kreme is going to recognize that it is their 117th birthday. And in honor of their 117th birthday, they're going to leave the hot side on for 117 consecutive days. And everywhere you go, somebody's going to have a dozen donuts hot just for you. In fact, man, you're going to be on the expressway. There's going to be a rat. Praise God, nobody got hurt. You're going to have to get off the expressway, and you're going to find yourself stuck outside of a Krispy Kreme with a hot side on for 25 minutes, staring at the sign, making a life decision. You're going to come to church, and for the first time since one church has been open, Pastor Matt bought hot Krispy Kreme donuts. He ain't done it in a year and a half. You're going to go to work, and every day somebody else is going to come in with some Krispy Kremes every day because the enemy knows what you like, and the enemy only comes at you. Your faithfulness is only tested with things that you like, that you enjoy. This is what I feel and I hear from Daniel in this story. It's not that it was just it was a bad cut of food. It wasn't that this wasn't appealing food. This was stuff that Daniel struggled with, and so Daniel had to make an internal decision. Have you ever had to have an internal talk with yourself? You ever did that where you know that you've been tempted so much, you just go, you know what, Lord Jesus, I just can't. Just right now, I'm not going to be able to deal. I got to get away from them. They're, they're talking. They're looking a certain way. Things are smelling. I, I just can't. You ever had that internal dialogue with yourself where it gets so tight, so, so hard for you that it takes every fiber of your being to quit, to give it up? I feel this is where Daniel is. It's, it's the best. He's been exiled. He's, he's looking for something to be comforting to him. And ain't nothing comforting like food. What a friend we have in Jesus for our taste buds. Your faithfulness is most likely going to be tested with things that you enjoy. Daniel had to make a conscious decision that I am not going to give in. And so he purposed, he resolved within his internal self that I will not give in. I love it, I love it, because what Daniel understood is something that he potentially learned as an early kid. That biblical faithfulness is not an action. And we've been trying to make this clear as we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit. None of these are actions. They're dispositions. This is something that you hold. This is, this is, this is how you live. And, and Daniel's choice here has been birthed out of that posture, out of that disposition. Because he learned as a child that faithfulness is what it is because he first saw the faithfulness of God. That he learned as a child that verse that I read earlier, Deuteronomy 7 and 9, your God is God, and he is faithful. He learned about the faithfulness of God, and since he learned about the faithfulness of God, that's exactly what he was able to use so that he could stand strong when it was time to do so. 
Biblically, biblically, man, faithfulness is like, uh, it's like pillars. Pillars that hold a door. And so when we're talking about faithfulness, especially when we're talking about the faithfulness of God, we're talking about the pillars that hold things up. That God is faithful enough that when your circumstances aren't appealing, when things are rough, when it's hard for you to make those decisions, when the struggle is real, God's faithfulness is what holds you up. It keeps you. It strengthens you. It's birthed out of conviction that there is none like God. The Lord your God is God, and he is a faithful God. That pillar of understanding is what guides Daniel and his friends through this struggle right here. But I noticed something else within the story. Not only is your faithfulness tested amongst things that you enjoy, isn't it amazing that faithfulness is always tested at the most inopportune times? I mean, come on, God. I've been taken from my home. I had to leave my family. I got to sit through all this Babylonian crap. I got to deal with all this. And right now, you want to know if I'm faithful? It's almost like God brings on a test at the times when you want to see if he's faithful. I mean, God, you, you allowed Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom to overthrow mine. Isn't your faithfulness in question right now? Isn't it amazing how faithfulness, the test, the call towards faithfulness comes when, God, I need you to show up for me right now. You, you know what I'm experiencing, but right now you want to know if I'm faithful? God, I'm trying to figure out if you are. Because my heart is breaking. My, my life is in shambles. Things aren't working out the way that I expect them to. God, I need to know that you are there. God's like, I've been holding you up. Let's see in the most inopportune times. When life, when it's inconvenient, let's see if you are able to hold up in the midst of this. And then I read something, man, within this. After Daniel resolved in his heart that he was not going to defile himself, one of the next things we read is that once he expresses that to the servant of Nebuchadnezzar, he then says to, to or, or the scripture says, that the Lord gave him favor through Ashpenaz. Which means this, even though Daniel and his friends were exiled to Babylon, God never exiled from their hearts and their presence. He was still very present in their lives. Even though it seemed as though he was distant, it's inconvenient. It doesn't make sense. God, you should be showing up. You should be showing up the way that I want you to. But God showed up differently for Daniel. God gave them favor in the heart of someone who was not even his servant. Because it's quite clear that Ashpenaz was a part of Babylonian culture, more times than not, that means that he is a worshiper of one of the Babylonian pagan gods, and so God gave him favor through someone that he doesn't even have a connection to. 
which means, man, it rings true that the rest of the scripture, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Even though Ashpenaz and Nebuchadnezzar may not be a follower of Jehovah God, they are Jehovah God's creation. And so even when it doesn't feel like God is there or that he's present in your situation, what you always have to recognize is that there's no place that you can go, nothing that you can do, nothing that can happen, no circumstances too bad that God cannot, will not intervene and be present in your situation. No matter how bleak the situation may seem, God is always present. He's an ever-present God. He's always there. And when it seems inopportune, inconvenient, what you've got to be certain of, your faithfulness and trust in God lets you know that even though I do not want to be here, I know that I'm not by myself because God is right here. God was with the Hebrew boys as they were in Babylon. God is with you when you are around other people who don't think like you, who don't believe like you, who are not like you. God is always present in your situation. Because check this out. It's not just Hebrews here. There's Egyptians and there's people from all over the region. Hundreds, maybe even thousands. But there were four who decided even though my situation doesn't look promising, I'm still going to believe and trust. So, man, I don't know if you're familiar with the story. Time goes on, and, um, and Daniel says, I'll tell you what, since you, you're fearful of what may happen to you, do this. Um, for the next 10 days, just give me and my crew, just give us vegetables and fruits and water to drink. And if we don't look better than everybody else in the next 10 days, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll submit to your will. Yeah, that, 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 that diet that he is on is what we know to be. We, we've, we've monetized it. We call it the Daniel fast. We're good at that in Babylon. Uh, he, he taken this, and then after the 10 days, what happens is, is that Nebuchadnezzar's servant comes, and he looks at Daniel and his friends, and he notices that they look 10 times better than the rest of the young men who were in the program. But not only that, it says after the completion of the program, after three years of being in it, the king himself comes into town. Nebuchadnezzar comes into town and he looks at Daniel and his friends. And not only do they look better, but Nebuchadnezzar says, man, that y'all, y'all just ten times head and tails above all of them. In ways of wisdom and knowledge and understanding, they were greater than not only of the men who were in the program, but also of every magician and enchanter. I know what that sounds like, but it's not like a magician magic. It's actually talking about the preachers and the prophets in Babylon. It says that these young men, because of their commitment to God, their faithfulness towards God, when they made a difficult decision, they stood heads and tails over everybody else around them. Which gives us this last principle. Not only does faithfulness test it with things that you enjoy, not only is your faithfulness tested in the most inopportune times, but also faithfulness requires of you to wait for the Lord. Listen to what happens. At the end of it, it says that at the end of the time, verse 18, set by the king to bring them into his servants. The chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked to them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in, matter of, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. 
and Daniel remained there until the first year of Cyrus. Always asking myself, what, what is it the Bible not saying? What is it not saying? What it's not saying here is that there were other young men from Jerusalem who were followers of Jehovah God as well, who because of the situation potentially decided that since God allowed this situation to happen, well, I'm just going to go ahead and give in to the ways of Babylonian culture. And so as opposed to doing, because they were raised and reared the same way that Daniel was, as opposed to making the decision to follow Jehovah God, even in the foreign land, they just suggested or, 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 or positioned themselves to say that, hey, I'm going to go ahead and enjoy every ounce of food, every ounce of wine, no matter what it is, I'm just going to go ahead and indoctrinate myself to be just like one of Nebuchadnezzar's servants, to be a part of Babylonian culture. And what happens to so many of us is we find ourselves like them. Because we've taken a blow from life. Because things happen and it's inopportune, it's inconvenient, there's pain, there, is, there are situations that fall out of our control. And since God does not show up the way that we desire for him to, what happens is then we more than willingly, willfully give ourselves over to some things that we know are outside of the will of God. Because our understanding is, well, if God, if you allowed this to happen, I might as well enjoy myself. And so there were so many a part of this program who knew better, who were connected to the same God that Daniel and his friends were, who opted not to make the decision to serve God, even though they wished that God would have showed up, that this situation wouldn't happen. You ever been there? Like, listen, um, God, um, I, I don't need you to move a mountain. I just need you to pay one bill. Yeah, yeah. I don't need a magical check to show up. I just need a little extra. God, I don't need you to make the sun stand still like you did Joshua. God, I just need a little bit more time. Can you just give me a little bit more grace? And what happens to so many people with humanity is because the timing is not right. We find ourselves giving over to things because it's not happening and working in our time. But the last time I checked, according to what Daniel and his friends understood, is that they had to recognize and know that the Lord, Elohim, God is God. And that even when it's inopportune, inconvenient, when you don't understand it, he is still faithful. Which means that no matter what decision that you make, when you make the decision to stand with him, the only reason you are able to do so is because he's creating it for you to stand. He set it up so that it would not wipe you out. And Daniel stood still. His friends stood still. And not only did they look better, they served for a very long time. Through the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, through many different wars, through the pettiness of a king. King, king Nebuchadnezzar. You guys may be familiar with the story. A little bit later, King Nebuchadnezzar and all of his cronies, they got gathered around him. And they says, man, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're so cool. Man, you ought to make, make a statue unto yourself. 
And every time somebody sees your statue on Instagram, man, they ought to like it, man, and, and ought to bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar was so petty that of all the Babylonian culture, three men didn't like his Instagram posting. <laughs> and he allowed them to be thrown into a furnace. But even then, God was faithful. Because when you looked into the furnace, after he recognized the error of his ways, he saw that Jehovah God was still with them. You got to wait on the Lord. For they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings as eagles. They will run and grow weary. They run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. God will be there for you. And your faithfulness has been tested each and every day. It is not the most opportune moment. It's requiring energy from you that you feel like you don't have. But God will keep you. And he will strengthen you so that you can make it through. Amen. Let us pray, and um, we'll take a moment, and we'll pause, and we'll, we'll celebrate God's faithfulness, a faithfulness that looks and looked at the flaws of humanity and said, even when you can't hold yourself up, I will be a pillar for you, and on that great day. He allowed himself to be strung up on Calvary's cross. There he suffered, bled, and died. Thanks be to God that his faithfulness would not allow him to stay in the grave. But three days later, he rose. And it is because of his blood that was shed and his body that was broken that you and I have life. So we, when we go to the table today, we are celebrating God's faithfulness. God, we thank you that yours is a hope, a trust that we can hold on to. And help us, God, to be faithful, to learn from you, as you has, have demonstrated for us what faithfulness looks like. May we always remember you. May we never grow tired or weary of your story. May we absorb it daily. It's in your name that we do pray. Amen. Amen. Come now. Will you meet at the table?